0: Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash on. Just go to Indeed.com slash on right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BrainsOn. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: You're listening to BrainsOn, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation.
0: Hey Mark, making a little pre-show sandwich I see. What'll it be today? Triple pickle? No,
2: not today. I'm going for something much more down to earth. Literally. What? I'm making an earth sandwich. Earth sandwich? I've never heard of that. It's only two ingredients. First, you take a slice of bread. Okay, pretty standard. Okay, now take your bread and put it face down on the floor. And
0: you lost me. Why on earth would you put your bread on the floor?
2: Why on earth? Well, because it's an earth sandwich, of course. Mark, are you there? Oh, hey, Bob. Yeah, I'm still at headquarters. Did you make it to the other side of the planet? Yup elevator took me straight here. I even double-checked my compass. Where is Bob? Okay, Bob went to the other side of the Earth for the sandwich. If he and I stand at opposite ends of the Earth and put two slices of bread on the ground at the same time, we'll sandwich the planet. Boom. Earth sandwich. So,
0: Bob's somewhere in the ocean. Are, are you sure? All right, Bob. Is your slice of bread ready?
2: Yep. Oh, hold on. I, I have to add some mustard. I mean, it's hardly a sandwich without that. Okay, ready. Okay. On the count of three, put your bread on the ground. Ready? One, two, three. Earth sandwich. Uh, sandwich. uh Mark? Uh, yeah, uh, since I'm out here in the ocean, uh, my side of the sandwich, it's a little soggy. Well, mm, the sogginess is only one of so many complex layers and textures. Mm, I'm really getting a strong earthy flavor. Here, try some, Molly.
0: Hmm, water flavor, a little much for me. I think I'll stick to peanut butter and jelly next time.
2: Mm, watch out, Mark. I I have a feeling it's still very hot in the middle.
0: You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-host today is Elijah from Atlanta. Hi, Elijah. Hey, Molly. So this episode, we're going deep. We're thinking about our Earth's insides and the different layers of the planet beneath our feet. And you, Elijah, sent us a great question about this.
1: I wanted to know, what would happen if you dug a hole
0: through the earth and jumped right in? It is a really interesting question. So, Elijah, what got you thinking about digging a hole through the earth? I don't know,
1: really. I just hear a lot of things say that if you dig a hole through the earth, you're going to end up in China. And I do not think think that's true.
0: Well, we're going to learn about that in just a little bit. So what do you think would happen if there was a hole that went all the way through the earth and you jumped into it?
1: I actually think gravity would be really weird because I've been having dreams about it. If you jump through it, you're going to keep on falling until you go to the other side. And then like that's a whole other side of gravity pushing in this way. So then it's going to push you up here again. It's just going to keep on going continuously.
0: Wow. That is really cool. I love how you thought about that. That's really awesome. So if you could go inside the center of the earth, what would you want to see? Diamonds, maybe. Mm. or emeralds
1: diamonds and emeralds are my two favorite minerals
0: so we're going to come back to that hole through the earth thought experiment later on in the show before we tunnel through the planet let's talk about the layers of the earth
1: we actually heard from a new band about these layers
0: they're called mantle and suns.:
1: you've probably never heard of them they're still
0: uh underground <laughs> here's their debut track Love it so to recap, the earth has four layers in the middle is the inner core, then the outer core, then the mantle, and finally the crust, which is the part we live on. Lisa! So, before we get into your very interesting thought experiment, Elijah, it's time to answer these listener questions. Hi, my name's Lisa, and
1: I'm from Denmark, but I live in Cambodia. My name is Malachi.
3: And
4: I'm from Morehead, Minnesota.
1: My question is, how do scientists know the thickness of each layer of the Earth? And how do they know the different layers in
5: the Earth?
6: I read that no one's ever been able to dig deeper than the Earth's crust.
1: So my question is, how do we know what is below the Earth's crust? Thanks. Bye.
0: These are great questions.
1: Right. No one's ever traveled to the core of the Earth or even gotten through the crust.
0: So how do we know that there's a mantle and an inner and outer core? That's thanks to a tool called a seismometer and some very smart scientists.
1: One of these scientists is Inga Lehmann. She discovered
6: that the Earth had a solid inner core. She called herself the only Danish seismologist.
0: That's Rachel Swaby. She's a journalist and she wrote a book called Headstrong that profiles 52 amazing scientists who are women. And one of the women she researched for her book was Inga.
6: I stumbled upon this academic paper um, and found not only that Inga Lehman was an amazing scientist, but that she discovered the inner core of the earth. This huge, huge thing that, that we learn about when we're kids and I had never known that she was the one who discovered it.
1: In the 1920s, Inge was a seismologist working pretty much by herself in Denmark.
0: Seismologists are people who study earthquakes and movement of the big plates that make up the Earth's crust.
1: This is called seismic activity, so they're called seismologists.
0: Now, Denmark is kind of a funny place to study earthquakes. It's not like California or Japan where there are a lot of earthquakes. But Inga was very excited about seismometers, cool machines that have the ability to detect seismic waves. These are waves of shaking energy in the earth, sort of like ripples in a pond, but through the ground. Seismic waves are epic. To learn more, Inga set up seismometers all over Denmark and Greenland to take measurements of earthquakes. Those measurements are also called data. So when an earthquake happens on one side of the world, it
1: sends waves
0: through the Earth.
1: And when scientists look at how fast or wiggly these seismic waves are,
0: they can get an idea of what the wave traveled through to get there. It's like, imagine a wiggling bowl of jello. Its surface would move a lot, so you'd know the jello is kind of flexible.
1: But if you wiggle a bowl of solid concrete, you see a much less motion in the surface Telling you that concrete is much more stiff.
0: If the Earth were uniform on the inside, all made up of the same material, the waves would travel out in a consistent way and at a consistent speed, like the waves in jello.
1: But scientists noticed that the waves sometimes came from
0: unusual angles or at different speeds. In 1916, scientist Benno Gutenberg figured out through this data that the center of the Earth was more like a liquid.
1: Now, lucky for Inga, her seismic detection network was picking up waves from the other side of the world in South Asia, where there was a lot of seismic
0: action. And since Inga was working on her own, she could take the huge amount of data coming in and go analyze it at home.
6: And she was working really, really hard, like a lot of scientists do. But she was sitting in her backyard, surrounded by flowers and whatever else she was growing in the summer. Um, And she had these kind of oatmeal boxes shoved full with index cards. And she'd sit out there in her backyard and go through her data.
0: And as she sat among the birds and the flowers going through her note cards, she noticed that some of the data didn't mesh with this idea of the Earth having an entirely liquid core.
6: She was able to see that, like, hey, this doesn't look quite right. The waves should be arriving um, at this velocity and at this location. But every once in a while, they're coming in in a different place. And so she, she was kind of a stickler for data, and she realized that there were some irregularities. And then because of these irregularities, she was able to kind of run the numbers and realize, hey, there's something else in the middle of the Earth, too. There's an inner core as well as an outer core. So the outer core is the kind of liquid magma, and the inner core is solid metal.
0: A solid metal core. It was a huge discovery, and it totally changed our idea of Earth.
1: Way to go, Inga. We science salute you. A (laughs) si-salute.
0: Right on. Scientists today are still using seismic waves to get a more complete and detailed picture of the Earth
1: defining that the mantle,
0: which is the layer of Earth just under the crust part that we live on,
1: that mantle is probably more layered and varied than we used to think, with hidden onion-like layers.
0: Oh, Earth, you are full of surprises.
7: And now, Sandon and Mark tell you rad facts about the center of the Earth, accompanying by... Heavy
2: Metal Music. The Earth's core is made up of two parts, a liquid outer core and a denser inner core. That inner core is literally heavy metal. It's a solid ball of mostly iron, which is awesome. And that inner core spins around inside the Earth, but it spins totally independent of how the rest of the planet is spinning. So weird. And that outer core, the liquid one, is so hot, parts of it are about as toasty as the The surface surface of the sun! Which is an epic epic fact! And it's that swirly liquid outer core that creates the Earth's totally rad magnetic field. And without that magnetic field, we'd probably lose our atmosphere. And life as we know it would cease to exist. So if you like being alive, thank the Earth's core. Gnarly!
7: That was Sandin and Mark telling you cool facts about the Earth's core accompanied by heavy metal music. Now on with the show.
0: Elijah, we've got something else to check out. It's the... Are you ready to hear it?
1: Yes, I am.
0: Okay, here it is. Elijah, what is your guess? I
1: feel like it sounds like something scraping on concrete.
0: Hmm, very good guess. Well, we're going to give you another chance later in the show to hear it and guess again. We're working on an episode all about color and we want to hear from you. We want you to invent a superhero based on a color. Captain Fuchsia, Super Turquoise, Purple Woman. What is your color superhero and what are their superpowers?
1: Send it our way at slash contact
0: You can also send us questions, drawings and mystery sounds. As where this question came from?
1: My name is Greta and I'm from Seattle, and my question is, do fishes have tongues? We'll get to the answer in the moment of um at the end of the show.
0: And we'll read the most recent list of names to be added to the Brain's Honor Roll. So keep listening.
8: Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start.
1: Welcome back to Brain Zone. I'm Elijah.
0: I'm Molly. Come in. Hey, Molly. Hi, Elijah. Hey, it's our pal Ruby Guthrie. But, um, Ruby, we're kind of in the middle of
3: an episode. I know, but I just had an epiphany.
0: Ruby, the last time you told me you had an epiphany, you told me you finally realized cilantro isn't just bitter parsley, that they're just two different herbs.
3: Look, I can't help it if I have spontaneous insights about the world. But to your point, this isn't just any random realization. It's an earth epiphany. It ties in nicely with everything you've been talking about. I promise.
0: Okay, if you say
3: so. Thanks. I'll make it quick. So it all started yesterday. I was in my sandbox and I started digging. Let me tell you, I was really getting into it. I was just going in with the shovel. And then my mom came out and said, Hey, if you dig a hole deep enough, you'll end up in China. And that made me think, why do people say that? Have either of you ever heard of this phrase before? Yeah, I've heard that phrase, and like
0: Elijah and I were talking about earlier, he told me he's a little skeptical of this phrase. So, Elijah, what do you think of that phrase, if you dig a hole deep enough, you'll end up in China?
3: I don't think it's true. I just don't think it's true. Well, I did some digging of my own, the research kind, not the shovel kind, and guess what? China isn't actually the opposite of the United States. But isn't China on the other side of the planet? Yes, that's true. China is on the other side of the world compared to the U.S., but it's not the antipode of the United States.
0: An antipode?
3: What's that? An antipode is the spot on the other side of the planet that's the exact opposite of you. So, if you were to dig straight down through the Earth, you would end up at the antipode. Antipode is pretty fun to say. Antipode.
1: Antipode. Antipode.
0: Antipode. Okay, so you're saying if you dug straight down from
3: the U.S., you wouldn't end up in China? Exactly. If you literally dug through the center of the earth from nearly any state in the continental United States, you'd actually end up in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Better wear your wetsuit. Maybe bring some flippers, too. So, the whole digging to China phrase isn't geographically accurate, at least for us Americans. It makes sense when you stop and think about it, actually. Even though China and the United States are far away from each other, they're both in the Northern Hemisphere, which means we're both on the top half of the globe. So naturally, we can't be true opposites. Our opposite would have to be on the bottom half of the globe.
0: Right. Like, if I had a globe, and I took two slices of bread and put one on the US and one on China, it wouldn't make an even earth sandwich.
3: Mmm, love me an earth sandwich. Yeah, that's true. To make an earth sandwich with China, your other slice of bread would actually need to be in Argentina, because Argentina is the antipode of China. So if this phrase is
0: not geographically correct, where did it come from?
3: It's hard to say exactly where and when this saying started, but one theory is that it originated back in the 1800s when this dude Henry Thoreau wrote a book called Walden. In the book, he described a man who dug a hole so deep that he could hear pots and pans rattling from China. That was an exaggeration, of course, but the idea stuck. There are even two towns in Illinois, Canton and Pekin, that were named after Chinese cities because people believed they were the geographic parallels. This phrase is still repeated today in different stories, cartoons, TV shows, and movies. So, that's my epiphany. Digging to China is just one big old geographical misunderstanding. So if you're planning to dig to the other side of the Earth from the U.S., just remember to bring your swim goggles. Thanks, Ruby. Happy to be here. I think I'll go fix myself an Earth sandwich now. I hear Bob has a good recipe.
1: See ya! Since when did Earth sandwiches become the new it food?
0: Good question. Elijah, are you ready to hear that mystery sound one more time? Yes, I am. All right. Here it is. Okay. So last time you heard it, you thought maybe something scraping on concrete. Do you have any other thoughts? No, not really. Okay. Are you ready to hear the answer? Yes, please. Here it is.
1: Hello, my name is Lily, and I'm from Idaho, Coeur d'Alene. And this is a book, and I'm flipping through the pages like this.
0: So, it was flipping through the pages of a book. Have you ever done that before? Yes, I read a lot of books, actually. Yeah, and it does kind of sound like dragging something on concrete when you do
2: it that fast.
0: It's a cool sound.
2: brains on.
0: Elijah, let's get back to your question that started this whole episode, the one about digging a hole through the earth and jumping in it. We asked producer Manika Wilhelm to look into this.
9: Hi,
7: Manika. Hey, Elijah. What did you find out? Well, no one has ever really gotten to try this out, but I did find a scientist who has dug pretty deep into the earth. We got as far as 800 meters into the crust. yeah, so not quite one kilometer. Donna Blackman is a geologist, and she's into rocks below the Earth's surface. That digging that she mentioned? She worked with a team of scientists out on a big boat in the Indian Ocean to do that. They wanted to drill as deep as they could and take samples along the way to see what rocks in the crust were made of. They basically got half a mile into the Earth's crust, right under the ocean. And technically, they drilled that hole rather than digging it.
1: But that's just the crust, the thinnest part of the Earth's insides.
7: Right, and scientists have drilled holes deeper than the one that Donna mentioned, but they've never made it more than about a third of the way through the crust. Drilling into the Earth takes a bunch of time, energy, and tools, and most expeditions eventually run out of at least one of those things. Turns out, it's really hard to drill through rocks, and it gets even harder the deeper that you go. Wow. But Donna was game for our thought experiment because it's such a good question, so... Let's imagine that it is possible to dig a hole all the way through our planet. So, Elijah, it's up to you. Where should we dig through the Earth? In the Mariana Trench. The Mariana Trench is a great choice. So first we'll have to travel through quite a bit of ocean because the Mariana Trench is the deepest trench on the Earth, and it's out in the Pacific Ocean. But then eventually we'll get to the Earth's crust that's underneath the ocean, and overall, the crust that's underneath the ocean is a little different than the crust that's on land. So the crust on land formed when Earth's tectonic plates crashed into each other. But the crust underneath the ocean formed when magma oozed out of cracks in Earth's surface. And then as that magma cooled, it became the crust. So crust underneath the ocean is only three to six miles deep, whereas crust on land can be more like 30 to 40 miles deep. So we'll start out in a really deep part of the Pacific Ocean. Oh, and Donna has one more suggestion before we jump in the center of the earth has really high pressure. And she says that means our hole might collapse. So we should use a casing, which is basically a vertical tunnel to hold our hole open as we go. We're gonna have to think about what we
9: wanna make that casing with, because otherwise we're not gonna be able to see the rocks on the way down, which if you're a geologist like me, that's one of the main things you wanna do.
7: <laughs> I definitely wanna see the rocks. So let's make that a see-through, super strong vertical tunnel.
1: How's your signal? You can still hear us? Yep, strong imaginary signal
7: coming through. All right, you ready? Here we go! So as you go down, (laughs)
9: you're you're gonna get to see the different layers of sediments. The sediments are gonna go by pretty quickly because
7: they're just a really, really thin skin on, on the surface. Sediments are a kind of rock, so they're part of the crust. Oh, and actually you mentioned earlier wanting to see gems deep in the earth. And the crust is where emeralds form. They don't form everywhere in the world, just in some parts of the earth, because it takes a mixture of hot water and just the right chemicals to make them. Sometimes emeralds also form in magma, which is liquid rock. Alright, so we're moving along in the crust. And when the crust ends? Then we're going to get to a really cool interface, which
9: is the bottom of the crust and the top of the mantle. And so this is a place where there's gonna be more
7: olivine. And so, you know, a little bit of a greenish color to the crystals. Olivine is a mineral that's green, kind of like emeralds, but it's lighter. To me, it looks more like if grass became a mineral. So now we're headed through the mantle, and this is farther than anyone's ever dug. And you mentioned also wanting to see diamonds if you got to travel into the earth. So this is where diamonds form, about 100 miles beneath earth's surface in the upper mantle area. But since this is farther than anyone's ever been, you might wonder how we get any diamonds up to us. And the answer is that the diamonds that we can mine, so the diamonds that we can dig for, they got pushed closer to Earth's surface by underground eruptions a long, long time ago.
1: Cool. Is it just me, or is it pretty toasty down
7: here? It definitely is not just you. We're hitting higher temperatures and pressures by the minute. The temperature changes a lot around here, but we can expect it to be somewhere between 2,000 and 7,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So pretty toasty. Hang tight, we're headed to another important spot about 1,800 miles below Earth's surface. And that's
9: where we're going to hit a more metallic core material. And that outer core, in fact, is going to be molten. So as we look through our clear, really strong, really temperature-proof casing, We're gonna be able to, if we take our time and look, we're gonna be able to see that outer core metallic material actually flowing around us. Whoa, liquid metal. Then the pressure's just gonna get too high and that that material becomes solid. It just can no longer maintain its liquid form. And so that's the last layer that we're gonna go through to get to the center.
7: Wow, we made it all
9: the way to the center. And then we're gonna sit in the center and you know, see what it feels like. All of a sudden there's no gravity.
7: I feel floaty. Yeah, so the no more gravity thing, that's because gravity is basically when a big, heavy thing pulls on you. So if you're standing on Earth's surface, but you jump off the ground, gravity is what pulls you back down. And that's because Earth's mass, which is really, really big, it kind of wins a tug of war against your mass, which is much smaller. So even though you resisted gravity to jump up, you land back on the ground afterward instead of floating into space. Oh, okay. But here, in the middle of the Earth, we're surrounded on all sides, by the Earth. So there's half the Earth on our left, half the Earth on our right, half the Earth above us, half the Earth below us. And the Earth on one side pulls on us, but so does the Earth on the other side. And those two pulls actually cancel out. So that leaves us weightless.
1: Wow. It's cool to be here, but isn't it time for us to head to the other side? Okay,
7: that's where I'll admit. This plan has a bit of a hitch. I've been imagining like normal laws of physics so far and gravity helped pull us down here. But like we said, there's no gravity at the center of the earth. There's no way you're gonna be pulled out of the center on your own. You need some help.
1: Oh, tricky, but we can still imagine our way out of
7: here, right? Oh, of course, that's a great idea. And overall continuing through our hole would just be a backwards version of the journey we already took. So we go back through the solid core, then the molten bits and then the mantle and last the crust. Welcome back to Earth's Surface. Great to be here. Well, thanks for taking us on this journey, Manica. No problem. Now, I'm going to go eat an Earth sandwich with pickles. Brains, brains,
9: brains.
5: I remember trying to dig a hole when I was maybe 10 years old, just to see how far I could get and and where I would pop up. Uh, Only got about... I think, four feet before I hit a layer of something very solid. (laughs) And I think that was my first introduction to the layers of the earth. That's author and illustrator Oliver Jeffers.
0: He's written a lot of incredible books, and one of my favorites is Here We Are, which was actually just turned into a movie. And even though Oliver didn't get too far with his hole, he never stopped wondering about the world
5: around us. I am... In Belfast right now, uh, where I grew up, I normally live in Brooklyn, and uh, I was halfway through a year of traveling around the world with my wife and two young children whenever this pandemic struck. And so we, we came back here to be with family. But it was really quite striking having traveled around so much in the last six months that just all of the different types of landscape That there were, And any time we've we've been somewhere where there has been a crack in the earth or been a cliff face or even on a highway driving through where they've clearly blasted rock and you can see to the sides just these patterns of the layers and and just how striking how thin they can be and just how much history has gathered up into those different levels of dust that are just falling on top of each other over the years. The vastness of the earth, both what's beneath the surface and on it, has always amazed and inspired him. A book that I just finished reading was called The Body, A Guide for Inhabitants* by Bill Bryson. And in it, there was a a fact that really struck me as shocking. You know, our planet is quite large, but there is only a certain amount of places on the planet that can harbour human life. Obviously, we can't live at sea. We can't live on the sea. So I think 70% of the the surface of the earth is water. And so it's only in the the dry bits of this earth that that we can live. And it's only in some of the dry bits. Whenever you exclude all of the bits that are too wet or too high or too arid, according to this book, Bill Bryson says that there's only 4% of the surface of our planet that is habitable to human life, which is a shocking, shocking thing to consider and human life only exists on our earth in the solar system so that's that you know we're we're crammed into a very small uh, amount of space it still feels big but really this is a small world any astronaut who's ever been to outer space and looks back at our earth there's a phenomenon called the overview effect and it is the realization that Earth is not divided into countries or even cultures, that it is one single super system. Everything is connected to everything else. Weather affects everyone. As we're finding out, things like viruses affect everyone. It doesn't matter. We're all part of one single system. And you cannot see borders from from outer space. I made a project last year that was an accurately scaled model of the Earth and the Moon. Um, But in the sculpture, I did draw every single border known to man at at that point in on my sculpture. But instead of writing the country names, I just wrote over and over and over again, people live here, people live here, people live here. Because it's true, this is the only place in the entire universe that people can live.
0: You can find Oliver Jeffer's book, Here We Are, at libraries and bookstores, and the movie version is now streaming on Apple TV. There are different layers inside the Earth. The
1: crust is the part we walk on, it's the thinnest layer. The next
0: layer is the mantle, it's the biggest layer.
1: In the center of the Earth, there's the inner core and the outer core, those are the hottest layers. We've never managed to dig
0: past the Earth's crust.
1: Seismic waves from earthquakes tell scientists
0: what the inside of the Earth is like. But if we did dig a hole all the way through the planet, we'd see a lot of cool rocks at super high temperatures. And we
1: end up in a place called the Antipode, the spot opposite another on the globe.
0: That's it for this episode of Brains On.
1: It was produced by Manika William, Mark Sanchez, Sam Totten, and Molly Bloom.
0: We had production help from Sabi Robinson, Christina Lopez, Ruby Guthrie, Rosie Dupont, and engineering help from John Miller. Special thanks to Eric Ringham, Catherine Salada, Melva Glass, and Vicky Kreckler. Now
1: before we go, it's time for a moment of um 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 um
0: um
4: do, um- um- do fishes have tongues? Fish do not have the kind of tongue that we're used to, like having the ability to move our tongue around with our musculature. They don't have that. My name is Tierney Teese, and I'm a National Geographic explorer, marine biologist, and independent filmmaker. But they do have this sort of raised fold in the bottom of their mouth, and some of them do some pretty interesting things with that. One of my favorite fish tongues is the osteoglossomorphs. The name of the group actually translates into bony tongues. And they are able to grab their prey, hold it in their, their normal jaws, and then essentially shred the prey in their mouth because they have these teeth on their tongue and on the roof of their mouth. And they kind of chew with their mouth open and rasp. So it's not not someone you'd want to invite over for dinner. One of my favorite examples of a fish that uses a tongue-like structure would have to be the archer fish. Contracting the muscles in their gill region, they can squeeze out this stream of water that can knock prey out of the air. And that's a pretty cool trick, if you ask me.
0: Um, um. um. there's nothing fishy about this list it's time for the brains honor roll these are the brilliant listeners who keep this show going by sending us their ideas, questions, mystery sounds, drawings and high fives Drithi from Willowbrook, Illinois Sloan from Boise, Idaho Mason from Somerville, South Carolina Asa from Chapel Hill, North Carolina Elena from Chicago Greta from Australia Cora from East Montpelier, Vermont Richard and Lisa from Los Angeles Nico from Portland, Oregon Skye from Los Altos, California Raya from Singapore McKenna from Indianapolis Jessica from Medford, Massachusetts Henry from Ogden, Utah Gabriella from Stockholm, Sweden Max from Cambridge, United Kingdom Iris and Malcolm from LaGrange Park, Illinois Winifred from Los Angeles Jasper from Manitou Springs Colorado, Bethany from Utah, Nathan from Surprise, Arizona, Isaac and Abigail from Jasper, Alabama, Will from Acton, Massachusetts, Caitlin from Canberra, Australia, Oliver and Harry from Sydney, Australia, Quinton from Pittsburgh, Martin from St. Paul, Minnesota, Josephine from Bellingham, Washington, Owen from Salt Lake City, Utah, Savvy from Vista, California, Brecken and Forrest from Arkansas, France, Soren from Austin, Texas, Valerie from Cambridge, Ontario, Leah from State College, Pennsylvania, Josephine and Ava from Seattle, Aditya from Port Washington, Wisconsin, Lynn from Fitchburg, Wisconsin, Rhea and Sania from Avondale, Pennsylvania, Audrey and Caitlin from Bossier City, Louisiana, Daphne from Fairfield, Connecticut, L and Mike from League City, Texas, Campbell from Plant City, Florida, Kaya from Summersworth, New Hampshire, Franny from Charlotte, North Carolina, Kitson from Bucharest, Jonathan from Stony Point, New York, Harper from Santa Cruz, California, Blythe from Ohio, Aiden from London, England, Ania from Houston, Ethan from Falcon Heights, Minnesota, Felix from Waterloo, Michigan, Walter and Arvid from St. Paul, Minnesota, Van and Elliot from Sandy, Utah, and Radic from Columbia, Missouri. Brains On, on. will be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening.